This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Emma Hazlitt. And I'm Zach Meir. On this week's show, manners. I had always been taught that one is to wear brown shoes. We're joined by Renee Kuo. Who's basically in charge of all etiquette. The most important thing I've learned about etiquette is just putting other people at ease. Who tells us about her journey to Debrat's. There was a very memorable moment for me where I told a company that I was turning down their offer to be managing director of the West Coast office. And I said, you know, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Welcome to City AM Unregulated. Hello and welcome to City AM Unregulated. This week we're on our best behaviour. Because co-managing director of Debrett's René Quo has joined us to talk about whether manners can make all the difference, not just at dinner, but in business too. Thank you for coming in, René. So first things first, we want to start by playing some clips of what people in the city think is the right kind of etiquette. OK. So we can get your final ruling on oh, the matter. <laughs> so first up, we've got how to greet people. Meeting for the first time. Definitely handshake. Yeah, definitely handshake. <laughs> in the office, yeah. Handshake. Yeah. And who it is. Handshake maybe with guys. Maybe a single kiss with a girl, if I sort of know him. Maybe two with a girl I really know and maybe two with a guy if I'm really drunk. This is one I find incredibly awkward because some people go in for the single kiss, some people go in for the double kiss. Every now and then, I'll get a hug. What do you do? I think as a woman, um, we do have the option of directing the interchange with men, whether it's a colleague or a client. So if you have continually been greeted by somebody who is a bit more lingering or a bit more um, perhaps amorous in his uh, intentions and in giving you a, a kiss on each cheek, it is perfectly fine to reach out your hand first for a handshake. As awkward as that might seem, I do think it's best to set the tone and uh, put an end absolutely immediately to any sort of um, behaviour that could be somewhat questionable by either side. And I think that will set the tone going forward as well, as awkward as it might seem the first time. Uh, you don't have to give kind of a demeaning look or, oh God, not again. <laughs> um, but uh, I do believe in handshakes. And I also believe that it's very cultural. So it may be that you're meeting a Middle Eastern client. It may be that he or she... Um, you know, if it's very gender specific. So, for example, I was talking to one of our tutors who just got back from the Middle East and it was her first time there. She went to shake somebody's hand. It happened to be a man. And he was very kind. He put his hand over his heart and said, women are like flowers. They are to be admired, but not to be touched. And yes, you can pull a face. Emma is a, definitely a flower. <laughs> not very but delicate. from a cultural perspective, as she learned, there are certain behaviours that are accepted amongst people where they are capable of being married. And so therefore you have to be respectful of gender differences and very respectful of um, their religious belief not to have physical interaction with those of the opposite sex. I've got a couple of points here. The first Please, thing, the, in, the, in the business area, as a man, I think you can almost, whatever you do, you, you're, you're doomed. If you go for the handshake, <laughs> well, you should have gone for the, 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 the one kiss or you go for two, kiss, uh, two kisses on, you know, and you should have only done one and you're, you know, your head's gone to one side and there's gone to the other side. 
that's a that we're still in a transitional stage <laughs> in terms of doing things. And then the other point with the Middle Eastern people and other people who come to this country. Yes, I'm I'm a believer in when in Rome, and so really, you know, if it, the handshake is, you know, that's what we do here. And I think, you know, you've got to confidently, or at least in it, not trying to be offensive in any way, but you know, you shake most people's hand. And I I can't believe that somebody would come to this country and not want to do at least a basic thing. I mean, obviously, the, the, the pecks on the cheek are, are out but uh, when somebody's wearing a burqa. But, you know, the, it, there has to be, I think, a bit of give and take. Is that, is that fair Yes, I do. Uh, well, to your first point, I definitely do feel for men in the business world when approaching um, women, a female client whom they might have seen on several occasions and feel very comfortable with, I think it's always good to let, to let the client lead or to let but the then, woman lead. Yeah, but you lead. go for a handshake. You, you go should for have a gone handshake. For, you should have gone for the kiss. For the, uh, you never uh, have to go for the kiss. Well, I think you, if one, if she reaches out her hand and you reach out to shake I it mean, and she draws you in for <laughs> the perfunctory kiss on each cheek, then by all means Sounds go like with a the flow. <laughs> um, but, but, so, so, but the other thing, but then you get into that comical thing of shaking the hand and then going for, going for the, uh, the, the kiss. You Same you... thing happened to me this morning when I was greeting a friend of mine who had just been um, with the Swiss. And so I went in for two kisses on the cheek and she gave me a third. And I thought, oh, where did this come from? But, you know, you laugh <laughs> about it. It's, it's something, it's, it can be an icebreaker, as awkward as it might seem. I do think that you let the client lead. Uh, with your comment about um, people coming here to do business and, you know, obviously win in Rome, I do agree to some extent, but... A lot of our clients for Debrett's are luxury retailers who during the summer they might see a lot of clients coming in from the Middle East. You might have customers coming in from China, Russia, Japan, etc. And if you try and greet everyone the same way and expect that everyone has a Western outlook as a client, even though they're coming in as a customer to do business with you, um, I think one does have to be aware of those cultural differences. I feel, I feel very rude to interrupt you Please. both, but let's move on to the next clip. <laughs> People that don't say what they want in the subject line. <laughs> People who use abbreviations for things like kind regards or best regards, so BR or KR. People use exclamation marks, it's like they're shouting, and they're not meant to be. <laughs> I do get a bit annoyed with kind of um, colloquial language in an email, and also uh, there, there, and there. That annoys the hell out of me. Okay, Renee, so some of those are more grammatical. Errors, I think, that are highlighted. But what are your worst email gripes? I agree with the first person who said in the subject line, I think it's always good to state your objective. And oftentimes we are the recipients of email chains that have absolutely nothing to do by the time it's like a game of, well, in, in America, we call it telephone. I don't know. Do you call it Chinese whispers here or something where it's just changed subject so many times by the 50th iteration it has absolutely nothing to do with the original email so my two personal gripes would be not addressing the subject line as a change but also just assuming that someone is going to go through all 50 of those emails I would really like someone to say to me you know here's a summary of it please look down to the uh, second email in the chain and you will find X, Y, and Z. Or just, for heaven's sakes, just cut everything out and just summarize it. I think in this day and age, people are short on time. They're used to looking at things on a smartphone. They don't have time to scroll through 50 different messages to get to the point. Okay, so... We've we've talked about heels gates on this program before. <laughs> yes, but a more important point recently is what colour shoes should gentlemen wear? Let's hear what the city has to say. Depends on what trousers they're wearing. 
<laughs> yeah, I prefer brown, yeah, less intimidating. Brown is definitely less intimidating. The colour of your shoes should be irrelevant, I think, when it comes to etiquette generally. I don't care, but apparently investment bankers do, so probably black. Yeah, in the city, black is the, apparently what you're meant to wear. In Spain, brown. Black. Always. No brown in town. Brown shoes get a bad rap. Are they really that bad? This was new to me, I've got to admit. So I had always been taught that one is to wear brown shoes with navy trousers, that navy and black don't mix. But this was a, a, a rather heated debate in the office because there is the tradition of no brown in town. Then I spoke to some one of my most sartorially um, best-dressed better term for it, um, gentleman that I know. And he said, you know, Renee, there is brown and then there's brown. And what he meant, I'm sure, is that, you know, if you are wearing John Lobb or Churches or the most beautiful Oxford brogues or if they're polished to the most beautiful sheen, um, who really cares? At the same time, I think what's quite interesting and what's lovely about traditions and dress codes is that it does show respect. So if you are meant to go to a wedding wearing, you know, something you don't wear white because that's going to compete with the bride there are certain dress codes which show respect to those who are there and to the traditions so if there's a tradition in the city of no brown in town then you know i i I think it's quite daring of those to challenge it and i support it fully (laughs) i I interview a senior market analyst uh, for a broken company every week and uh, every week he comes in with these Brown, I mean, really, he was wearing a grey or black suit, uh, but it's always the same brown shoes. And we, there's two of us interviewing him, and we always laugh at him, and he, he, he knows he's wrong. He knows he should be doing it. But as he's got a job, he's not applying for a job, he doesn't, it doesn't matter. But really, brown is totally out. And it's just a totally out thing, whether the, it doesn't matter what the, the colour of the suit is. I think, Zach, you raise a great point, which is it, he wasn't going for an interview. I do feel that this was actually in response to the Social Mobility Commission's report on investment banking and how um, discriminatory it can seem because certain applicants don't have the the right polish, uh, they don't have the right accent, their suits might be ill-fitting, their ties might be deemed too loud. I really do think it's a sad state of affairs when, as you mentioned, Emma, women are still told what they need to wear in terms of, you know, how high their heels should be or whether they should be wearing heels altogether. I, I personally don't like to be dictated to. I do think, however, if you are trying to impress for an interview and you do know that you're interviewing for a city job at a very traditional firm, then, yes, don't wear brown. <laughs> well, no, but the other thing is, I suppose it does go back to a bit, a bit of you know, the people who wear wearing brown shoes are not from the background of the traditional background of the city, what yes. it was before. Uh, the public school brigade. And therefore, it's a very easy way of saying, well, this person's obviously not suited. He's not one of us. So that's so that's what it really means. It's almost ruder not to hire someone just because of the colour of shoes they're wearing. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> the world has become, you know, a less formal place. One thing that I wanted to ask was about swearing. Okay. Sometimes we drop a swear into a conversation. Is that an absolute no-no in business still, or do you think the fact that the world is has become less formal means that we can occasionally? say something a little bit naughty. 
<laughs> I think it absolutely depends on the environment you're in in the audience. So if you've just met a client for the first time, um, even if you might be working in finance, and I only say that because having spent nearly a decade on Wall Street, I had some very colorful language at the end of my tenure there, and I had become completely desensitized to it. And in fact, I think that that was the culture where it was just the norm. Um, however, at Debrett, I'm constantly catching myself with my colleagues. I'm very careful about what I say. Um, as much as I adore my colleagues, we're very friendly with each other. I think it's just the wrong environment for it. So so it's environment dependent, do you yes. would say? Yes. And also we do have some tutors who are, um, one has worked in um, the palace previously. And so if I were to address her and, you know, drop an F-bomb in there, I think I'd, I something had really, I, I would just be checked into an institution. That just is not <laughs> something that I, I would do. I mean, moving on, I wanted to talk about leadership. Yes. Um, you know, a lot traditionally being a boss has been seen as kind of quite a hard-nosed thing. Do we still need to be quite hard-nosed as leaders or do you think these days it's more about respecting your colleagues? Well, before doing this interview, I was I was thinking about manners and in business and and how that can be transferable to leadership. So I do think that in order to be a good leader, there has to be an emotional intelligence that's separate from a managerial intelligence. And that emotional intelligence is very much going along in lines with good manners of being intuitive, listening, being empathetic, um, focusing on teamwork, motivating people. And that gets back to the basics of saying, please, thank you, and I'm sorry. I mean, please, Emma, could you do this for me? Um, I'm so sorry if that wasn't clear. Thank you so much for your hard work. I really feel like that motivates, shows gratitude, shows empathy, and are all the signs of leadership that are often and really too often overlooked. And then, of course, to be you know, an effective and successful leader, one has to be able to have a vision and lay out the strategy and, yes, make ruthless decisions at times and think about cost-cutting when one has to. But hopefully that all goes hand-in-hand hand and is balanced with those softer skills. But do, you, do you think that people with good manners who are polite and respect and have the emotional intelligence actually climb up the greasy pole? Because being nice seems to be a way of being left at the bottom. You know, Zach, I can go back to my days in finance and I can agree with you and say a lot of the traders who were compensated very well may not have had the best manners on the trading floor. However, put them in front of clients and they were absolutely polite, very well mannered, um, very familiar and collegiate. And yet I will, I do think that everyone remembers a bully. I do think that successful businesses are not successful by being rude to their customers. I, I'm hard pressed to think of one business who is paid for treating their customers or their you know, their clients rudely. In episode 20 of this podcast, uh, The Art of Charm, we talked about The Art of Charm. Is there a difference between manners and charm? Yes, I do believe so. I think that charm can oftentimes be an act. And I do think that that has the intent of beguiling somebody or um, putting the attraction on oneself to make oneself seem charming. I think manners is really focusing on the person across from you, from your audience, from to, you know, focusing on your client and putting somebody else at ease rather than trying to make yourself look good. Can you be charming without having any manners at all? Gosh, I, 
hate to sound very trite about it, but when one thinks about a, a bumbling English charm but no manners, I would say, yes. <laughs> that wasn't me whispering into the microphone, but, you know, think about Hugh Grant. Of course he had manners too, but he was charming and rather bumbling in so many movies and, you know, may have spilled something or not always said the right thing or, you know, yes, dropped an F-bomb in certain occasions and he was perfectly charming, yes. Well, on that point, actually, so we, we do have a special relationship between the US and, and the UK. So yes, we do. Bear, bearing that in mind, <laughs> uh, isn't, isn't manners a totally British... The British invented that. I do think that at the very basic level, manners are essentially a set of culturally expected behaviours which fit a societal norm. So whether it's American manners... You know, we can go back to talking about business and business meetings. Um, Japanese clients might find it very rude and ill-mannered to go into a meeting and try and make a decision. Um, as far as I've understood, a lot of Japanese meetings are more concerned with report finding or actually saying the results of, of your findings. Whereas Americans might go in and, and be very much like a bull in the china shop and say, what are we going to accomplish today? How much is this going to cost? Do you want to do the deal or not? And it might seem very ill-mannered, and yet Americans might find it very rude if you take a lot of time beating around the bush and the deal isn't done by the time the meeting is over. So I think it really, again, comes back to culture. Okay, Renee, um, just before the end of the show, it'd be great to talk about you and how you got into the Brits. Uh, so you started they made an off... exception, I know. <laughs> you started off doing a finance degree. Even MBA. worse, I was an English literature and international relations major at Stanford University, much to the consternation of my very Chinese parents who said there was no such thing as a Chinese English major. And then you moved on to do an MBA. Yes, at MIT. Okay, and then, and then what happened next? I fell in love with a Brit. <laughs> uh, oh, well, prior to that, actually, I was working on Wall Street for um, nearly 10 years in fixed income sales and trading, a job that I loved until I didn't. Um, I always joke that finance drove me to drink. I fell in love with wine. I really found wine and wine study is much more interesting than schlepping bonds. I guess it's not too surprising to many people. Um, and I found so many of my colleagues and I saying, oh, well, when we retire or gosh, in 10 years, wouldn't it be great if? And all of a sudden I just woke up one day and said, you know what? The common saying is life is too short, but I realized life is too long to be doing something you really don't want to be doing. I think that was my epiphany. And I was absolutely terrified and thought, you know, do I just have the bourgeois blues? Am I just, you know, thinking that um, I'm bored, but I, I have a very comfortable life at the moment? And, you know, gosh, I, I actually went to see a career coach who said, what is the worst thing that could happen? And he said, why don't you think about what you hope to achieve and let go of all the fears? And I was supposed to go to our next session, which I canceled because I said, I'm in Napa Valley and I've actually <laughs> quit finance and I am now uh, a harvest intern. What do you think of that? And that was the last time I spoke to him. That was the voicemail message I left on his recording. Um, so I actually, I was joked that finance drove me to drink. I followed my dream and moved to Napa. And yes, was a harvest intern covered head to toe in grape must. And a friend of mine said, honestly, what are you doing? You have your MBA. Um, you know, you look like a grape. You smell like a grape. You re really should be using your um, business sense to help all the creative winemakers who are geniuses at making wine, but maybe not so great at sales. Why don't you go into wine sales? And he introduced me to wonderful um, 
wine sales company. And then I left that to run a vineyard, to run a winery. And then I met my British husband. So can you tell me more about the thought process behind completely changing your life from Wall Street into wine? There was a very memorable moment for me where I told a company that I was turning down their offer to be managing director of the West Coast office for their company. And I said, you know, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I realized that I was in a very fortunate position where I didn't have the same liabilities as a lot of my colleagues, which was namely um, trying to send their children through universities, which are quite expensive in the States. So I, I had less to lose, I suppose, was one thing. But this company, there was a silence on the line when I said, thank you for the job offer. But, you know, if I, if I don't leave the business now, I'm never going to leave. And he said, you know, Renee, part of us thinks you're insane, but the other part of us is really jealous. <laughs> so here's to insanity. What can I say? <laughs> well, to wrap up, you know, since you've been at Debrat's, what's the one most important thing you've learned about etiquette? The most important thing I've learned about etiquette is just putting other people at ease, having the confidence in social and professional situations to to put others at ease. And I'm very fortunate in that Debrett's is not, as some people might think, stuffy, old-fashioned, elitist, or judgmental. If anything, you know, I, I didn't mention perhaps the most important thing, which is we've been around for 250 years. That's seven years longer than the founding of the United States. So in essence, you know, and Debrett's was purchased four years ago. So everyone who works there now, barring the editor of the peerage who's been there 35 years, has been there less than three years. So it is much like a 250-year-old startup. And we've taken the approach that manners are not for the elite. They're not to judge. They're not to say you're wearing brown shoes when you really should be wearing black. It's to put people at ease. And I think there's nothing more ill-mannered than to point out somebody else's... Um, no, ill manners. <laughs> so next week when the guy comes in with the brown shoes, I should keep keep quiet. You should ask him where he got them. <laughs> with thanks to etiquette champion Rene Quo, this has been City AM Unregulated. Remember, you can listen to the podcast on cityam.com or download via iTunes or Audioboom to listen on the go. City AM Unregulated is an Audioboom production.